Well, hey there. Welcome to Just To Be Nominated, a podcast about movies that is distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter from multiple decades, who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. For this episode, expect a lot of talk about West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's new musical that retells the story of Romeo and Juliet. For the staff picks section, we're going to talk about unheralded Andrew Garfield movies, and that will lead into a conversation that Bruce had with the man himself, Andrew Garfield. You can find links to all the other movies that we talked about in the show notes, along with our social media info, etc., to see what we're up to and or contact us if you want to sound off in the DMs. If you like the show, please tell your movie-loving pals and let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcast. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. Yeah, so you're getting just bombarded with all the screeners right now. Yeah, it's too many good ones at once, really, because you end up feeling like you're liking everything, and that's not good. That's part of why I don't understand why all the studios end up putting out the super prestige stuff this time of year, because then just inevitably, no matter how much you're pushing it, it's something's going to get lost because there's just all this other stuff to talk about, too. There are ones that you wonder, what is this? I have mass I've been wanting to look at and I hear great things about the actors, but will I get to see it? We'll see. So, yeah, that becomes a, it becomes a problem. You end up at Christmas time when everybody else is going to the movies, you've seen everything. So there's, <laughs> oh, boo hoo for you. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it, it, it's really um, um, an interesting kind of situation because you go, oh yeah, yeah. And then nobody wants you to talk about it because you're going to spill it. So of the, the awards, Beatty stuff that you've seen and this is Bruce Miller who, who we've heard and then uh Jared McNett is also on the line <laughs> listen to this one listen to yeah there's we heard him it's enough let's let's put a plug in it <laughs> Bruce has seen all the good stuff that we'll see eventually once all all the rest of the the unwashed masses can can see it I've seen good stuff this week don't get me wrong Jared I have too I absolutely have as well. See, isn't it? It's like you got all the gifts at Christmas. You got everything. And you think, my birthday's coming up in two weeks. What am I going to ask for? What's left? I've gotten it all. It's Feast or Famine. So of the movies that you've seen, mm -hmm. which let's see if I can keep track of the list that you were talking about, ones that aren't out wide yet, but we've got Nightmare Alley the new Guillermo del Toro movie, which is a, a loose adaptation of a movie, like a noir kind of circus sideshow yeah. uh, huckster who, who makes it big as a weird hypnotist uh, medium. Bradley Cooper. So we've got Nightmare Alley. We've got Licorice Pizza, which you saw. Yep. The new Paul Thomas Anderson. That's your big thing. It's my big thing because it's been teased. A while now. It's been available in like a handful of small theaters in New York and LA. 
for anyone, not just critics or the press or whatever, for, for weeks and weeks. So any number of, you know, film Twitter, whatever, you know, friends that I've got in on the coast have been able to, to see it sometimes multiple times. And, and I can't. And obviously we are big Paul Thomas Anderson fans here. And I mean, come on. I understand why it is that it, that that happens, but it is wild to think that like movies are the only medium in which that sort of release schedule really occurs because like, could you imagine if albums work that way? Like, oh, like an album comes out, but at first only people in New York and LA can somehow get access to listening to that album. And then it slowly trickles out from there. That would be insane. <laughs> in the old days, it used to be that you would have to wait until some relative had visited one of those places and they come and tell you about it. And then six yeah. months later, you get the, you get the actual thing. And probably it's like a double feature or something. Yeah, or, and since we didn't really, TV wasn't a, a medium for film, it was like, well, that won't be there for two or three more years. So you could be really left out. I had one year in my life where I saw no movies. No movies. Can you imagine a year without movies? What year and was this? It was 1970-something. And I was in a small town where they everything they had, I had already seen. And I wasn't getting anywhere to go and see new movies. So I had the year that just was like missing. Hmm. So just know it could be worse. Oh, for sure. For sure. Concerts can be like that too. I mean, growing up in, in Charlotte, which as even though Charlotte is the most populous city in North Carolina, the majority of mid-level indie bands that I was into in college and high school would mainly go to Asheville or Chapel Hill and kind of skip the big city. And it seems like Madison is kind of the same way because you end up with bands that'll play, you know, a Thursday night in the Twin Cities. The next night they'll be in Milwaukee or Chicago. <laughs> Poor Chris. I know. I I've lived such a... Deprived life if you just don't have <laughs> anything. Exactly. I feel so sorry for you, but you did get to see West Side Story. I did get to see West Side Story, as did you, Bruce, as did you, Jared. And Jared, you tweeted a uh, vague, <laughs> you just tweeted, I think, the, the confirmation that you were going and then said, we'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I and. Uh... Just for uh, transparency's sake, this will be a segment called Jared Reads. This is just my notes that I took uh, after seeing West Side Story. So, uh, West Side Story. Um, Wait a minute. Let me hold it, hold it before you get into the big list. Let me preface this by saying that this is your only musical of the year. Yes, correct. This is the one musical I've seen this year. All right, so uh, what I wrote after I uh, left theater, I went and saw it at AMC uh, 14 here in Sioux City. A true artist emptying out their bag of tools, spilling everything onto the canvas. This is Steven Spielberg's best in almost a decade, if not longer. Unlike The Post, Ready Player One, or Bridge of Spies, this, a revitalization of a 60-year-old work, has his unmistakable stamp on it, his imprimatur. Even the smallest and most intimate of emotions and moments feels colossal through his and Kaminsky's camera, which swoops and tilts and pans with the kind of dynamism 
that befits one of the greatest musicals ever made. Going in, it's easy to think he didn't need to do this. He could leave well enough alone. Now it's awful to imagine the world where he stayed away. Well, that's like a Christmas card to Steven Spielberg right there. His mailbox is going to be overflowing oh, yeah. this year, I'm sure. All right, Chris, what do you think? Let me, I guess, preface it by saying I've, I have not seen the original West Side Story, which is obviously a glaring omission on my part, just as a, a film lover and a, a appreciator of, of the musical genre. And I mean, this was the most absorbed that I've been in a film in a very long time. Yep, yep. I got sucked into the romance in ways that I have not been sucked into a romance in a, in a film in years and years, much less just this year. Our like Twitter DM thread between the three of us, I think I threw in there, I'm calling it right now, this is gonna win Best Picture. And it, I cannot imagine it not. It's got way too many things going for it so far as it's, it's a Spielberg movie. So he's going to campaign for it hard. It's a musical that harkens back to, you know, the real golden age of Hollywood, which, you know, the Academy absolutely goes bonkers for. And it's, I mean, it sticks the landing. It is just incredibly well-made the set pieces. And I mean, every single scene feels like a set piece in its way. The only like dings that I could give it are really more just preferences where it's like, you know, let's, let's settle down with the lens flares guy and uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe lean back a little bit on the, the wide angle lenses. And that, that that's really, I mean, I, it's very nitpicky stuff, but I don't know what the other awards it's going to be in the heat with. I don't know if best director is going to go to him, but he'll be on the list. Cinematography, I think, would be a, a decent shot. Yep. And that's uh, Janice Kaminsky, who has done a bunch of the, the recent Spielberg movies. I think Rita Moreno is not a lock, but she's going to be in the running for supporting actress. I mean, it's, yeah, fantastic. How about you, Bruce? Well, of the three of us, you know that I'm the one who leads into musicals, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm a musical fan. I hated the original West Side Story. Oh, all right. I thought that there are things in there that really didn't need to be. I mean, they had Natalie Wood who couldn't snap her fingers or sing. So they dubbed her and they had somebody else handle, you know, the hard lifting. It was, I thought, very theatrical in that its dances were all the same dances that they had on Broadway when they introduced the musical. So that it was basically a kind of an opened up version of a Broadway show, which was good for the time. But Spielberg has taken this in another direction and the dances really do come out of the fights. And that's fun to see um, how it's more athletic than balletic. And I think the ballet thing kind of makes y'all go, oh God, I can't see this. And they don't do it. They sure they have ballet moves, but it's, I love Mike Feist, who plays Riff. He was fantastic. Kind of a little worm, if you will. And you, you know that you don't dare trust him with anything. If you pull him and uh, Bernardo out of the film, the problems don't happen. They're the ones who are causing the problems. And so then it kind of mushrooms and snowballs, and then you get your Romeo and Juliet kind of... Um, Thing I think making um, Rita Moreno like the nurse in Romeo and Juliet 
was a really cool choice yeah. that pays dividends in many, many ways, because I don't know that they really captured that that aspect it's if you have if you're like unfamiliar with this west side story is a modern day or was a modern day adaptation of romeo and juliet over the years because you've seen it done by high schools you've seen it done by you know repertory companies touring companies broadways revived it a couple of times you lose sight of some of that romeo and juliet stuff and they tony kushner who adapted it the guy behind angels in america did an incredible job of making it relevant for today. Um, the things about immigrants and um, how they're received and, and treated. Rita Moreno is that, that thread and she gets, if I, spoiler alert, she gets a really big song to sing that um, went to others. And it works, it really, really works. And she has that kind of moment of realization of what's gone on that others don't seem to see. And I thought that Ariana DeBose, who plays the role that she had originally, puts her own stamp on it. It's, it's incredible. I think there is an uphill battle for it to win Best Picture because the, you know, the Academy will go, well, that concept has won already. Are we gonna do that? And I think they should try it. What the heck? Why can't we remake something and the remake can be better than the original? But I think that's its biggest uphill battle is that they'll say it's not original enough to win Best Picture. It will be nominated. It'll definitely be nominated with 10 slots in there. It can't miss. And I think it's going to, it'll have at least 10 nominations because the technical stuff is so great. That set they built, that whole street is huge. And he makes uh, every inch of it worthwhile. And you want, I want to go walking on there and just look around the whole thing because it's so cool. And then you look at some of the, the stray kids that are part of the gangs and they're fun to watch too. So I think it has multiple viewings in it that'll, um, that'll make this a, a good film to see. And it's like one of those ones when people say, oh, wait a minute, I don't know if I want to go to that. Force them to go because I think they're going to find something in this like you two did that you didn't realize you were going to see. Yeah. To uh, what you're saying, Bruce, and to Chris, what you were specifically saying in terms of like being completely uh, engrossed in it, like for a two and a half hour movie, I didn't even once like look at my phone, which I'll do even in a movie I like because like I just want to know how things are like progressing. I didn't even do that one time, like and it's a two and a half hour plus movie, and I was just all the way in the entire time, and like just. It, the time flew by completely. And then when I left, I could not have been in a better mood <laughs> leaving the theater. Because you saw something good. Yeah. Well, and not only something good, but like I was talking about, something good from one of the greatest directors of all time actually trying, which he has not always done in the past decade. <laughs> How big was the crowd when you went? It was, it was not the biggest, but I mean, you know, Thursday night, I'll, I'll forgive it that. But uh, there's maybe like, 10 or 12 people. And how did it look on a big screen? Fantastic. It was gorgeous. Yeah. I saw it on TV, but it still, it still resonated. But I, some of those big overhead shots, I really wanted to see that done on a huge screen. That opening sequence where it goes, you know, from the credits to the overhead shot. Right away, too. Of the, you know, the crumbling you know, dismantled tenement buildings of eventually what would be Lincoln Center. Uh, I mean, 
that that set the tone for everything because it clearly was a you know tremendous amount of computer wizardry that created that whole situation but i mean it was just it was seamless and it no no uncanny valley at all um yeah well i'm glad i'm so glad you guys liked it because i had a feeling that you were going to be like lukewarm Mm -mm. no i like musicals i think uh jared is is the more uh, (laughs) cynical maybe amongst us that might be too strong of a word to describe him I'll, i'll let him maybe defend himself but the uh Definitely less, I think, moved by musicals than, than Bruce or myself. No, that, is, that, is, that is more than fair. And then not only that, as I've already mentioned a couple of times, like I have a lot of animus for some more recent Spielberg stuff, including Ready Player One, which I still think is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in a theater anyway. So there, there was like heavy lifting two times over <laughs> for me with this. But no, it was, it was fantastic. Yep. And it's also, he doesn't need to keep making movies. Like, there's there's no reason. No. Um, no. I mean, I'm intrigued about what the, the rewatch value is going to be for West Side Story. Is it going to be, I mean, I remember, you know, the idea of, you know, people going and seeing musicals like this many times over in the theaters. And I'm wondering how that's going to play out. Whereas, I mean, I'm looking back at, you know, the past, I think the last really good Spielberg movie was it's kind of a toss-up between Catch Me If You Can and War of the Worlds. Um, Munich is obviously really, really good, but I mean, it's a different vibe. And I mean, I like Tintin. I would say say Lincoln maybe, but like Lincoln as much as anything is about Daniel Day-Lewis. When was the last time that you saw it? Like I saw it in the theater. I was like, yeah, sure. was And and I've never gone back to it. that's more than fair. <laughs> so this could be one of those ones like Sound of Music that they bring around every year. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah, the replayability. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think it earned its place on the top of the of the ten most likely to be nominated pictures list. Absolutely, and I'm I'm still, I mean, just the the mathematics of it to me, you know, I. I will be surprised if it if it's not like I mean you, you've shaken me in a little bit, Bruce. Yeah. But man, I mean, you know, I, though, I have a hard time. I mean, the only the only thing that is kind of going against it is the fact that or right, going against it as far as awards go, not as far as the actual film, is that the only big name in there is well, obviously Rita Moreno, but Ansel Elgort, who you know, is not, is not really a household name um, outside of maybe Baby Driver or the Divergent series, which is, you know, kind of sputtered. All right. If you had some other director doing it, they would put in Ariana Grande as Maria. They would have, um, Beyonce would be in there somehow. You'd get um, maybe Shawn Mendes in some role. You know, they'd, they'd go for, let's cast with, you know, Drake will be in there at some point, God knows what, but they'd find a way to stick these people in because it, it, it's just an odd, odd way. And he is the big name. Spielberg is able to say, you know what, I'm picking people you have never seen before. And then they can be that character for you. Bruce pointed out the, the actor who played Riff, who's another, you know, very 
unknown, little known guy. And I mean, he just absolutely crushed it. He's just, I mean, yeah. Wormy is the the perfect way that, you know, Bruce described it. I liked that uh, Riff and um, the other gang leader, Bernardo, that they both had th- these, these visible kind of slight little scars on their face, you know, from kind of getting, you know, slashed with, with knives or bottles or something at, you know, some previous rumble. And yeah, I'm everything. I mean, it, it, it's loaded with all of these iconic images that some of which I'm sure were lifted from the original film, but others were, you know, seemed very whole cloth, like brand new. It's not my personal favorite movie of the year. It is, you know, not the most challenging thing that I've seen. It is not, you know, the movie that made me the most happy, but welcome back, Stevie Spielberg's. And it, it's the most movie movie I've seen this year. That I feel totally comfortable saying. It is It is absolutely the most, like, theatrical movie of anything I've seen this year. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. I was going to say, with, with everything else adding to, like, you know, any storylines for it, for Oscar stuff or just award season stuff, is the fact, you know, that it, you know, is out in the same year that Stephen Stallenheim, you know, passed away. And I got to imagine that maybe factors in somehow, too. So, you know what he did, though, is he expected everybody to bring it. And if you look at some of the other films that are up this year that you would say, okay, these things are good, but this is a little bad. There's not an instance where everybody brings it. I don't think. And this is one where they do. Now, it's the idea of do you like an old movie being redone? And maybe that's going to be a big sales pitch for Hollywood, because if he can do this, then let's have others do it and do it on such a grand scale that it welcomes a revision. So who knows? It could be a game changer. I do think it's going to be Best Picture nominee, but I don't know necessarily yet that it'll win. And I mean, the other thing to factor in is that, I mean, we've got a much longer, uh, you know, run out track between now and the Oscars than we have maybe ever had. I think the Oscars are even further out next year than they were this past year, right? I mean, it's in like in April sometime. No, I think they moved it back. So we okay. have a shorter window. The Golden Globe nominations are coming out very shortly, even though people are not paying attention to that. But that will help divide your numbers. And you'll get the five drama, five music comedy. This will be in the musical comedy area. And you'll find, um, probably Don't Look Now, um, your Tick French badge. Uh, don't Look Up, sorry. I, I'm that The title is always getting me. Don't Look Now was a uh, Donald Sutherland film. but it, Yep. But you'll find that they'll kind of fall into these categories. It'll be an easy way to pick it apart. The five dramas will be the interesting thing. What is going to factor into that that category? And you probably have Belfast. You probably have Power of the Dog. You probably have Nightmare Alley. And then what? You know, because I think Licorice Pizza will go over in the comedy musical area. It's certainly interesting. You know, we'll uh, see where things go. Did you watch anything else then this week that was fun? What else did I watch this week? I uh, It was actually not a pretty, uh, very active uh, week of movie watching otherwise. I uh, watched on Monday, this is not a new movie by any means, I watched Tulane uh, Blacktop, the uh, Monty uh, Hellman. classic, yeah, the classic uh, 70s Monty Hellman uh, road trip movie with uh, James Taylor and the Beach Boys' uh, Dennis Wilson as the two leads. Um, who were actually both pretty, uh, pretty great in it. And I, I liked it a lot. I didn't like it as much as 
Um, like Easy Rider, but that's like no slight to Tulane Blacktop. Easy Riders, you know, that's the pinnacle of that type of road trip movie. So, but yeah, it's a it's a really good movie if you just want to watch two dudes driving across the country for an hour and a half. Chris, what do you see? I've slowly been trying to kind of get back to movies that uh, slipped under my radar and uh, for for the year uh, and ended up kind of going a little bit more grimy. So I saw Willie's Wonderland. Yes. The, uh, you know, showbiz pizza haunted house movie starring Nicolas Cage. Who doesn't have a line of dialogue in the whole movie. No. And I mean, that was a, that was a lot of fun. I don't know how, I mean, it's certainly a, <laughs> it's, it's got a uh, self-selecting audience, I guess, let's say. <laughs> so yeah, that is, that's fair. And then the other one that I saw is called Censor, C-E-N-S-O-R, Censor, which is about a British censor, film censor in the age of the video nasties, when you had these VHS tapes that the, British government was trying to ban or cut the the violence out of, and there's a a traumatic thing that's happened in in the main character's past, and she ends up watching a movie that replicates a lot of that, and she kind of goes down this real psychological terror rabbit hole, and uh, that was just it was really really well done. It's not going to win any awards or anything, uh, but it was a great little horror movie if anybody is is into that sort of thing, and both of those are on Shutter. I'm going to have to check that one out. I like the premise of that. And I was not at all aware of it. And it's done very, very straightforward. I mean, there's not, it's not like arch. It's not, you know, there's no, it's not satirizing anything necessarily. How about you, Bruce? What have you, uh, well, I guess you've been on, on the hunt for all the, the new release stuff. Kick. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's really a feast. It really is. And when you come home at night and you've got a short window in which to see the film, you don't think of anything else. I got to watch this one really fast. And then I've got to see another one right after that. And so for me to kind of absorb them, I think I have to go back to my notes each time and then try and figure out what did I like best about that. But um, Nightmare Alley was fun to see. I enjoyed that because I was expecting something a little different. This is very LA confidential, if you can remember that film. And Kate Blanchett, she is my she is my power player this year because I so loved her in Don't Look Up. And then she's in this one as kind of the femme fatale uh, who helps Bradley Cooper in his quest to become this, this uh, big mentalist during this, this odd period. But she's she's such a chameleon, and she's so fun to see. So uh, Nightmare Alley had uh, freaks and geeks and old um, Guillermo regulars kind of waltz their way through, and I it could get overlooked. It could get overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it again production values. The, the sets they're creating for these films, unbelievable. You know, I thought Dune was a slam dunk. I thought Dune's got the best set prizes. You might as well just give it to him now. And you see these things and you say, well, wait a minute, Dune, not so quick here with all that sand. I think um, we have to consider some other ones. And West Side Story has a great set. So does Nightmare Alley, you know. Belfast, you could even make a case for their set. 
And just to kind of jump in, the we've got Don't Look Up that you mentioned, the new Adam McKay movie about the... And that's opening theaters this this week. And that'll be on Netflix on Christmas, twenty uh, December 24th is when it comes out. And Nightmare Alley is in theaters next week, I believe. Um, and yeah, Being the Ricardos is in select theaters now, but it'll be on Amazon Prime on December 21st. And uh, yeah, Licorice Pizza, December 25th. There are just a scat of them that you can't, you can't keep everything free. You know what I find the, the kind of interesting thing is now they're all binding the um, the scripts for all of the the big movies that they're pushing. And I've got a whole library in my office from those. And it's like, who can outdo these ones? Well, then Power of the Dog came with a coffee table book to beat all coffee table books. I think it must be five pounds. It's huge. And there isn't that much of a script because they're silent most of the time. But the the picture book, it's like you're reliving the whole thing. It's it's incredible. And then Lucy, not to be outdone, sends a cookbook. So I got a cookbook from Lucy. Yeah, if you're if you're a Western, like all you need to do for that kind of thing is just have a coffee table book of like as many stills from the movie as possible because that's that's going to be damn hard to be <laughs> especially if it's a well-shot western yeah and is that easy though maybe that's an easy a western is an easy way to do it because you can do a lot of outdoor kind of vistas not unlike nomadland last year but to go back to our west side story when you see some of the light play that they do in that like when you see the gratings from the, the street and the light kind of pours down, unbelievable. That takes work, that doesn't just happen. And I think when you just shoot a mountain, it kind of does just happen. Yeah, you might have to wait for the, the right time of day, but I, so I think there, even though we thought Power of the Dog might have a real shot at cinematography, it could, it could be beaten. Chris, I know that you are um, always thrilled about the, what are they sending to um, pump up their, their film? Well, interestingly, I got the sheet music from No Time to Die, signed by Billie Eilish, Eilish and her brother. Oh, goodness gracious. I that, was, that was a cool one. I thought that was like something, yeah, I'll save this. This is good. I got a dried bouquet from Mass which I don't get it. And then in case you were wondering, yes, there is such a thing as an Aretha Franklin product line. And I got lotion and perfume and a candle from Respect. So it's there. That sounds fantastic. This is how you sell your, your film. Yeah, the Billie Eilish thing seems like something that you, you know, could potentially frame. It might happen. Yeah. You might have the Billie Eilish music room in my house. Anymore or sell. No, we can't sell it. No, no, no. I would put it near the piano that I don't have. There you go. Inspiration, right? Another movie that you've seen that I'm kind of itchy to see and supposedly came out this weekend or is coming out uh, this weekend is Red Rocket, which I'm, I'm not sure where it's... Simon Rex. Oh, he's so good. Don't know where it's going to be screening anywhere near me. Yeah, he's going to be overlooked and he shouldn't. 
He really shouldn't because it is just amazing what he does with this because you just know that guy. You know this kind of scam artist who um, makes it big for a short period of time in porn films. And I, I, you know, you don't think that their window is short, but their window is really short. They don't have a long time to be the hot kid in a porn film because somebody else is going to be there the next year. And so here he is washed up, forced to go back home. And then he tries to use that, that kind of reputation to impress people there and they aren't hearing it. And he wants to, um, he thinks he can get back in if he serves as a producer. And he tries to talk a girl at a donut shop into becoming, you know, wouldn't you like to do porn films? This would be really good. You'd be just, you'd get a thousand dollars. You'd be really, and you're thinking, this is crazy. This is really crazy. And his, his girlfriendish ex-wife, whatever she is, you know, just shuts him down and says, oh, come on, you're a loser. You never pay the, the bills. You don't pay the rent. You've got to get this done. We're not, we're not just hanging on. You're not staying here all the time. It, you just see him, you know, running as fast as he can to stay ahead of those who are out to get him. And he does an amazing job. It's by Sean Baker, who did the Florida Project and Tangerine. There are a couple of supporting performances in there that it's like very much real people. And you think they should, it's like last year with the um, Sound of sound of Metal, the guy who was the, um, the kind of the counselor guy when he was starting to lose his hearing. It's like that, where you go, this guy is so real, he should be nominated. The thing that really surprises me, though, is how CODA is getting a lot of attention, a lot of attention. And I think CODA is going to be one of those, really? This is nominated? I mean, I, it's, a, it's a good movie, but it's not a great movie. And Children of Deaf Adults, it's on Apple. They're going overboard on the praise for that because I don't see it as this really monumental thing. It's what they should have been doing years ago, which is doing films about people of all different stripes. And the idea that they're leaning into deaf people, come on, it should, we should have had this film a long time ago, but it seems very old school. Well, to change gears a little bit. <laughs> so we have a, an interview that we're gonna tag on here in just a little bit uh, between Bruce. Garfield the cat. Yes. Uh, between Bruce and Andrew Garfield, not Garfield the cat. I don't know what Andrew Garfield's stance on Mondays and or lasagna is, but. What now you tell me I could have asked. You could have. Andrew Garfield's been having a, a great year between Eyes of Tammy Faye, which we've talked about a lot and was fantastic. His, his, his turn uh, in the shoes of Jim Baker was pretty transformative and correct me if i'm wrong bruce but this it's promoting tick tick boom correct yeah and he does talk about eyes of tammy faye as well um he is one of those people who could get two nominations this year he could get a supporting for tammy faye depending on how they play that and because i think he's really good at jim baker if you remember him the voice is right on and um then for tick tick boom he's playing jonathan larson so he's talking about playing two real people and how difficult that is. But he says, for me, acting is hard. So to do this extra thing is 
you know, it's just more of the same. And um, he said that Lin-Manuel Miranda, who directed Tick, Tick, Boom, was very good at giving him the space he needed to get to the place he needed to be. But I think you'll enjoy what he has to say. He's, he has a, a line about um, treating a, a talent like a flower. And it's, it's real, it's very clever how he phrases that. But, you know, hey, look, and we did not talk at all about Spider-Man. I'm sorry. We did not bring up Spider-Man. I'm sure that that excited him to no end. The new one, which comes out next week, I've got tickets to, so I'm sure that I will be able to confirm or deny this time next week whether Andrew Garfield is in the new Spider-Man or not. For the staff picks, we can kind of go around and just uh, kind of throw out some of our, our favorite, less heralded Andrew Garfield roles to kind of lead into this and, you know, just wash, wash ourselves into the, uh, into the interview with a nice round of praise for Mr. Garfield. I'll go first. Cause I think I've got a pretty uh, good one for this. And that is a movie from uh, 2014. That is about the, uh, financial crisis in a lot of ways and that is uh, 99 Homes uh, directed by uh, Raman Barani and starring uh, Andrew Garfield and also Michael Shannon who is just crushing a vape pen uh, throughout that movie which is like one of my favorite little character details in a movie of like more recent vintage is just how much he is hitting a vape uh, in that movie because it happens multiple times when he's like they're basically evicting people from their homes that he's uh, crushing a vape pen. And that's kind of the basic uh, premise of the movie. Uh, it would actually, and I've talked about this, I don't think I've talked about this on here before, but uh, 99 Homes would make a really good double feature with the big short. Um, you mentioned Adam McKay earlier, would be a perfect pairing. And honestly, like the part of the movie where like the big short goes down to uh, Florida you could almost just like switch over to 99 homes and start watching that and then finish uh, the big short because it is a uh, perfect look at the like on the ground kind of consequences of everything from 2008. There's some really emotional uh, moving stuff in it where basically Andrew Garfield's character and uh, Laura Dern, who is his mom, if I'm remembering uh, correctly. It's been a little bit uh, since I've seen it, but I still remember it pretty fondly. Um, they basically are at risk of getting kicked out of their homes and then uh, Andrew Garfield starts working with uh, Michael Shannon, who's just this like vulture that kind of preys on people in these precarious like housing situations and is like making money off of them. And if you like Andrew Garfield, he's fantastic in it. And if you like Michael Shannon as much as I do, you won't be disappointed with him either. And it looks like that is streaming on Pluto, Pluto TV, if anybody <laughs> wants to check that out. The one that I'm going to throw out there is a movie from 2018 by David Robert Mitchell. Yes. Who, uh, his debut was It Follows. And then Under the Silver Lake was his follow-up. And I mean, this is on, on track to be one of the cult movies. It's intensely Los Angeles based. It's very reminiscent of Chinatown in a lot of ways. But with Chinatown, you've got, you know, Jake following the clues. And they all end up adding up and point to this big conspiracy. Whereas under the Silver Lake, it never really quite <laughs> like it's it's a kind of a, a it's more like a Coen Brothers movie in that way. Yep. 
yeah, it all adds up to, to nothing in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, it kind of predates, uh, like watching it now, you can see the way that Andrew Garfield is going through the film, trying to piece things together, all these disseparate, unconnected ideas and facts and things that he sees and very, very rewatchable just for all of the little nuts and bolts that are kind of floating around in the background of it. It, it presages a lot of the, the tone, I think, that, you know, QAnon and various other modern conspiracy movements kind of take as well, where you're like, I don't know, man, like you pull back far enough and it doesn't, nothing connects. But once you get into the, the hyper granular aspects of it, you can get lost in all of that. And uh, yeah, he gets sucked in. Fantastic. I was going to say that, Chris, is that uh, all of this like era of like conspiracy that we're in now, like I can't think of a movie that's a better representation of, of that or this era than uh, yeah, Under the Silver Lake is because it's 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 bug eyed and it's and it's weird. And some of the conspiracy threads, yeah, they not only do they not go anywhere, they don't even make sense like within themselves, like the internal logic of some of the, the points in the movie don't make sense. And it's a really fun time. <laughs> yep. So that's my shot is Under the Silver Lake, which if anybody wants, it's, you know, take take Showtime on Amazon for a trial and, and it'll be there for you. But it pops up on Amazon Prime pretty often. So Under the Silver Lake. How about you, Bruce? Can I just mention that he is really willing to take risks? He does things that others in his, you know, come on, if you were in a big blockbuster, would you necessarily do some of these things? And he he went and did theater um, for a number of years. He was in Death of a Salesman with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, which was just incredible. And then he most recently won a, a Tony for Angels in America, which is not an easy little thing to do because it's two parts and it's like three hours plus each night. Um, and he's the star. And I, I really applaud that because he had a career, a, a film career that was hitting on all cylinders. He got an Oscar nomination for Hacksaw Ridge. And that usually you can parlay into at least a James Bond villain um, <laughs> or something, you know? So I think the idea that he is willing to do things like Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a, a real risk for an actor to be a singer. Really? Are, are you going to do this? But um, I'm picking one that's a little, you can see it, you can see them all. But uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And I'll, the reason I do that is because I think he nails Jim Baker better than Jessica Chastain nails Tammy Baker. I mean, he gets the voice, he gets that kind of that split personality that we saw, he is marvelous. And he doesn't have that many scenes in that film, but he is really, really good. And I'd like to see him do more of that kind of stuff because I think he has a real ear for nailing accents. Oddly enough, you know, you, we think he's British. He was born in the United States. But I think Tammy Faye is my choice. He's a very underrated actor and it kind of stinks that a lot of the... Uh, the press tour that he's on right now for Tick, Tick, Boom seems to be uh, getting taken over by everyone wanting to know about Spider-Man. And it's like, I, I want to hear more about his process for, you know, social network and, <laughs> you know, all these movies where he just steals so many scenes that he's in. Let's ask him a bunch of questions about silence, man. Like, let's talk, let's talk about silence. It's another fantastic one. So, yeah, Andrew Garfield. 
we stand a uh, lasagna loving king. <laughs> well, listening, you'll you'll hear him him talk about you know the process of doing this and what he he felt was really at stake. It's it's marvelous, and he was a rent head. So back in the day, he did cut his teeth on the on the work of the guy that he's playing. Well, I mean, I think that kind of does it for, for this week for us. Uh, stick around for the interview between Bruce and Andrew Garfield. And uh, yeah, Jared, you want to you wanna take us out real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so listen, um, if you're at your local um, Cineplex and your local Cineplex has a Coke uh, freestyle machine and there's a line for the Coke freestyle machine and you're at the front of that line, don't go through every single flavor and consider it and ponder it and mull it over. And especially don't fill your cup up and then drink that entire cup and then refill it before you leave the line, which is what happened recently when I went and saw the House of Gucci. There was a very long line and the woman at the front of the line um, decided to rifle through a bunch of different flavors and then fill it up with water and then drink the water and then fill it up with a different flavor. So don't do that. And also go see something good. Well, I don't know if we're ever going to top that <laughs> as an outro. That was your East Side story right there. <laughs> I was holding on to that one for several weeks. <laughs>
It, I've, I mean, yeah, I, I, acting is, is a hard thing to do for me. I think uh, for anyone that says otherwise is, uh, is, 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 is lying to you. It's, it's a really hard gig. Um, and I, and I wouldn't do it any other way. I, I absolutely love what I do. Um, but yeah, I find it very, very challenging. I think because I, for whatever reason, I care about it so much. I care about story so much. I care about living into my artistic capacities to the greatest degree I can. And then of course you add into that, if you're playing someone who existed, there's a, this added layer of responsibility that you feel, um, because you know, there's, there's not one part of you that wants to dishonor, whether it's Jim Baker or, or, or John Larson, you know, I, I, particularly with John, you know, I, me and Lynn would always talk about it. We would say, gosh, we do not want to be haunted by the ghost of Jonathan Larson. <laughs> but it was an incredible tailwind. It was an incredible fuel for us that made us work harder than we've ever worked. And, you know, because we, we really wanted to honor this man that was in a, that was a, an artistic ancestor to us. Had you sung and danced before, or was this really the first time? Just, just for my own pleasure previous to this, um, I, and, you know, karaoke and, and at weddings, that's kind of it. Uh, and, and, and so Lynn was amazing in the sense that he gave me the confidence to know that I could get to a certain place and, uh, and I could actually honor John's voice and, and John's song. And then he provided me with the, the space time and the resources to get there. I had a year and a half. And then I, you know, I was able to work with the great singing teacher, Liz Kaplan, and all of, you know, Lynn's team, Alex Lackamore, Kurt Crowley, just these incredible, um, you know, snake charmers, if you will. And, and it was, so I was given all of the opportunity to get to the place that I got to. And I had this incredible supportive cast of incredible musical theater actors surrounding me who were just these thoroughbred racehorses who were just, you know, they know how to make a flower bloom. They know it takes water, time, and love, and that's what they—that's what they gave me, and it was so beautiful. I think you could do rent now, don't you think? Uh, oh my God, I would love to want uh, to one day do that. I'd have to do it soon before I got too old, maybe. Right. Well, well, thank you for doing this. This is this is incredible, and I think it's a great tribute to him too. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. All right, so for next week, expect our top films of the year listicles and just a bunch of other end of the year business before we take a couple of weeks off for the holidays and then come back strong 2022. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jarrett, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope that you enjoyed the show and are taking very good care of yourselves out there. As always, thank you so much for listening. I had one year in my life where I saw no movies. Can you imagine a year without movies?